You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. Another world. Another time. In the age of wonder. There was once a dream. You could only whisper it. Anything more than a whisper, and it would vanish. A battle between good and evil. You don't know the power of the dark side. Where shall I find a new adversary so close to my own level? Try the local sewer. You know of the rebellion against the Empire? The Avengers. Earth's mightiest heroes. Peace means having a bigger stick than the other guy. One of these days, I'm going to have a stick of my own. I'm Groot. Welcome to the Neverland Podcast. The podcast for lovers of Disney, Pixar, Marvel, and Star Wars. I'm glad you're here to tell us these things. Please welcome your host, Jeremy. I thought he'd be taller. Yeah, I can fly. All it takes is faith and trust. Well, if it isn't the Star Spangled Man with a plan, what is your plan today? Up to Neverland! <laughs> Take your pixie out of your pockets, Neverlanders. Sprinkle some of that pixie dust around. Think your happiest thought. And let's fly away to Neverland. Because at least we know we can get there without wrinkling anything up and getting put on strange planets that we have no idea where we are. Are you sure? Pretty sure. I'm usually pretty good at getting where I want to go. Pixie dust does kind of do the job. Might not be as fast sometimes. Well, sometimes it's as fast as hitting play on your phone, but <laughs> we get there. But I, of course, not alone. Eric's not with me. Eric, uh, his voice was kind of bad the other night, and so we're going to leave him alone. Uh, let him recover for next week. But we brought the Pixie Heather. Hi. Well, actually, I guess we call you the Windy Nerd. Windy Nerd, yep. Yeah, and the jingling you're hearing in the background is there's a cat in studio that cries when we're not one of us in the room with her. So she's making noise. She's quite the princess. So we're, you know, a spoiled little princess. Well, we called our cat Allura uh, from the princess in Voltron. So, yeah, she is a spoiled little princess. She rules her little catdom uh, and makes noise and racket. But, um... We're going to have some fun today. We're going to basically talk about Disney's latest release, A Wrinkle in Time. And then also I'll be joined by The Real Brian from The Real Brian Show in a look back at how Walt would make a movie and compare that to the modern Disney film and a lot of film in general. And it's a very interesting discussion and I think you're really going to enjoy it. We talked for over an hour. I've tried to condense it, but it's a really good conversation and you might be thinking some of the same things that we're thinking. And I think we're going to continue this type of discussion with some other people at a later time. But for now, uh, let's talk about A Wrinkle in Time. There'll be spectacle, there'll be fantasy, there'll be daring do and stuff like you would never see. Hey, a movie. Yeah, we're gonna be a movie. Starring everybody and me. Oh, and I wish I were you people seeing this for the first time. Kermit, I got a great picture of the chicken. Oh, good. Okay, so we just came out of that yesterday, Yep. and I kind of gave you a task. I bought a copy of the, the book, and you've read it before, and I thought, well, maybe you can get, get a chance to read through it. It had been a long time since I'd read the book, and this, honestly, was probably my first science fiction book that I had ever read. I can't remember reading anything like it before. Um, and so I remember as a kid being kind of confused. Um, and after rereading a few chapters of the book, um, there is a little bit that is confusing if you were uh, maybe a child reading the book. And that is written, and it was aimed for children. It was aimed for children. Yeah. 
But I think um, being adults reading it or young adults reading it, I think you probably would catch on to some of the the nuances. Um, kids that read it, I think, will just enjoy just the trip, just the fun trip, because that is the way that it is written. It's an adventure uh, between uh, three children. Two of them are siblings, um, and one is a friend, a new friend that is coming along for the ride. And so they, uh, they have an incredible journey through time and space. Well, not through time, just space. Well, although in the film, it did seem like that. I, I don't want to spoil anything, but it does seem like they came back and not a lot of time seems to have passed. Yes, yes. So there is that element where they might have Doctor Who'd their whole way through the whole thing. Yeah, well, and, and you kind of get that before they take off that, um, you know, the the misses are just like, oh, don't worry about, you know, anything. And I wondered, well, they're probably going to transport right back. And then when they have a conversation, there's a conversation later on with the father and he doesn't realize how much time has passed in. Yeah, that 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 came across in the movie. So I think there really is something there about um, when you're crossing through the galaxy that time doesn't equate to what's going on on Earth. Yeah, so there is a bit of a difference. Mm -hmm. And one thing I'm hoping the book explains better, that's one... It's a minor problem because you, if you don't think about it when watching the movie, you're you're fine with this. But they never explain how they're. Uh, I say I want to say tesseract, and they do mention a tesseract. Yes. We never got to see an object that would be a tesseract, but they say, "Oh, the tesseract is real." But they tesser when they uh-huh. when they travel, and they never explained how they do that, other than you get the the frequency that you're finding for the right vibration to go is love. We have that statement, but mm-hmm. so what does that mean? If you love, you you're suddenly you can blink your eyes and be somewhere else. They they never explain it. But when you watch the film, you don't really need them to. Mm-hmm. You if you just kind of relax and go with it, and they have a lot of nice things to say and a lot of really good encouraging things. I think in the it's story, a very positive movie, very po- Oh, and I love very how positive. colorful. Mm-hmm. So colorful. I've missed that in a lot of films. You know, we've gotten so dark, dreary, and dank. And this one, you know, it has its times where it is darker and scary because that's what it needs to be for but the story. But where it's appropriate. It's not yeah. dark perpetually like some movies that have come out. That seems to be the thing that everything has to be dark and grim. And that's the style now. And it gets old. Especially yeah. if you're trying to do children's books. They should not be that way. That's just kind of my opinion. Like if yeah. you're doing children's books, they should be bright and colorful. Yeah, and beautiful. To look it's a at. children's book. Yeah. Yeah. This is the way I wish the Alice in Wonderland movies had been. Well, I don't think those were necessarily aimed towards children, to be real honest. The new ones. You know, the Disney cartoons. But maybe they should have been. Because there's, a, there's a kid was. in all of us. That's what Walt would say. Well, yes. Adults are just grown up, grown children. Well, and I, I like... And I like some I, color. And, and Wonderland should have been right. Because when you get to see, when you get your first planet, and this is this beautiful, and the, the flowers are alive and interactive. Yep. This is... I, I was sitting there going, this is what... You know, with the animated version of Wonderland, if I was seeing a live action version of that, I would want the flowers and the sing their little song in the golden afternoon. Mm-hmm. That's what I would have wanted. So, I mean, that's, I, I love the look of this movie. Yes, the, this movie has uh, a lot of spectacle to it. Big time. Which is wonderful, but it's not too much. There seems, there's also a trend that because it is computer animated, we can shove as much stuff in the background. But then it, to me, it confuses me. Like, I have a hard time following what's going on because there's so much distraction but that's not the case here you get the feeling that 
you have a very open world. It's a very colorful world that there are not just one world, but there are multiple. Yeah, we get worlds. into other places too. Yes, that it's possible to go to other very interesting, neat places. Um, and the process process of tessering, if you will, is actually a very beautiful one. But the person that you're following, your antagonist that you're following through Meg, she has that'd be a protagonist. Protag- excuse me, protagonist. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Um, that she has some problems with with that at the beginning, but that has to do with her personal journey. Yeah. But when she finally grows to the place where she realizes how much, how special she is and how wonderful, you know, that that process can be, she really does have a good time. And you do see the way Tessering probably, it should be, you know, that is a positive yeah. thing. And what's nice about it is mm-hmm. by her learning, and I, I'm, I don't think we're spoiling anything, but mm-hmm. we're just telling you some of the nice positive things, mm-hmm. her learning that she is special is our own way of learning how we are all in our own way special. Mm-hmm. And there's some spiritual aspects on this, and I'm going to dive into it a little bit. I mean, I don't know how much is this intention, but it, it did remind me. Uh, I listened to another podcast called The Daily Audio Bible, uh, where you get you know, a section of the Bible every day. You should go check it out. It's very good. Uh, but there's all, usually a theme for every year that we go through the Bible in a year. And this year's theme, Brian has set us up with identity. And I'm, like I said, I'm going to dive spiritual. So if you don't like this, well, then ignore me for Sorry. a second. But I think you'll still get something out of what I'm going to say. But when you look at parts of the Bible, we have an identity as God having created us for these wonderful things and has rigged everything in your life just for your placement of when you're going to come in, the exact time, the place. God has intention and purpose and beautiful things for you. But we have an enemy who steals that identity away and brings you nothing but negative negativity and anger and bitterness. And that was a big theme, pain. But that's what this film did. You have all this bad feelings that had gotten into Meg and so she wasn't able to tap into who she was supposed to be and we get a really nice sequence when we get we meet the villain who's this the most evil mind ever and just they call it the it which I took him he's the de- that is the devil incarnate because he was a deceiver and liar we get to see him in different forms but its sole goal was to take away that specialness and to bring bitterness and, and everything and there's a really nice sequence and I'm, I hope I'm not spoiling anything where we get to see that some of the you know where everything looks okay we get to see some of the bad things that have happened because of the it and how we get these negative thoughts and even the bully veronica we get to see what part of her problem is and some of the lies been told that she has believed in herself and we never really you know it's not like you have a person who's lying to you but the it it lies to everybody and shows me how you're not special or how you're not as good as you think you are mm-hmm. there, there's a lot of um Things that get put in the movie, the we from the book, we definitely get the idea that Meg has a hard time at school, that there are bullies, and that she is very aggressive because of the frustration with her dad being gone and that kind of thing. And that's really the, the part of it. Like, she mm-hmm. has been hurt because of this. And you get this thing. I couldn't help but think of hurt people hurt people. Yeah, and hurt they, people that come and hurt other people. Yes, to yeah. make themselves like feel better. And you definitely get that as like, um, I mean, we have a big thing in our society about bullying and how bad it is, but I don't know how much time we spend on what is happening with the bully because yeah. kids don't wake up one morning and just decide I'm going to start persecuting other 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 children. 
there's something that goes on behind the scenes. And so you kind of see that. Now, that's not in the book, but it's a good add-in. It's a nice thing in the movie that helped to kind of come back. And it's part of the things that I think... Gave it a good message. ...helped us to see Meg's mm-hmm. um, growth through it all. You also have... Um, and I can't think... Calvin. Okay. So Calvin is another hurt person, if you will. You know, situation at home is not that great. But he instead, instead of hurting other people... He seeks to please. He seeks to try to... He, yeah, everybody tries to um, compensate in some fashion uh-huh. for the hurt. And um, But he really um, uses some of that to, to encourage Meg, you know, even though he has this downside, he feels like, you know, um, I don't know, it's just different than the yeah. way he responds to the hurt instead of being a bully and trying to put other people down. He then tries You to... might be telling too much of the movie. You think so? Yes. I, oh, I worry I you're there... going too much. Because I, 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 I want to be careful. I don't want to spoil it to well... people who haven't seen it yet. But, I mean, yes, there's some good, some interesting characters, and I think there's some lessons. And I don't feel like they beat us over the head with it. But, but they just visually show us a few things mm-hmm. to where we want to think of things. And what you were – I do – you know, what you were saying with, with bullies that – uh, there's uh, and heck, real Brian who's coming on later. He's actually a thing where he's talking about when somebody seems to have a lot of bad attitude with you, like you enter encounter somebody, and they just seem like they're being rude. Maybe take a second and stop and ask them, "Hey, are you okay?" Yeah, because maybe there is something. And I this actually reminds me uh, a little side side story. I actually was just reading a thing on Facebook with you know because we're all still reeling. I mean the school shootings and stuff that keeps happening. And but a teacher who wrote this as an open letter to students and it's become a viral thing. And he's going through so you to, in order to really stop these school shootings, the students can change it. Take a look around. Who is that kid by themselves? Mm-hmm. who nobody seems to think much of. Hey, go try to make a friend. And it may be difficult because that person may have been lonely and hurt by so many people that they kind of act, act out of bitterness a little bit. Mm-hmm. So it may be a challenge for you. Mm-hmm. But if if those people can have a friend, who's that person sitting alone in the lunchroom or in the classroom? Because those, those, are, those are potential active shooters. You know, we're not saying that everyone's going to be that way, but that's that's somebody who's got enough that's, hurt and anger that maybe that's what could happen. That seems a common thread with uh, the the shooters that come into schools, especially if they are uh, students themselves, is that something has happened. They are not accepted. You know, in some uh, fashion, in some fashion, and there's been some some negative things that have happened at school, and that's why they are they are lashing out at that. Um, this also another thing that I'd seen a video. And this has been out there a long time ago. A student who decided to make a video of thing of people that she thought was were beautiful, and these were people that she hadn't told that they were beautiful, but she came around with a camera to see the reaction when she had told them. Oh, I remember that. You know, you are beautiful, and the one thing that sticks in my mind was this one girl. She was very beautiful but when she told her that she got very aggressive like she could not believe that someone could honestly just tell her that she was beautiful without wanting something in return without trying to be you know, like this is a cruel joke or whatever just she could not accept the fact that someone would think that she was beautiful and people get like that where they, they, they can't either they don't believe you when you because mm-hmm. and they dealt with this in the movie mm-hmm. uh, but yeah so I, I kind of want to wrap this up I just sure. want to drop in there I think what one of the important themes, and I want to go ahead and share it even though I, this might be a slight spoiler, but I love the fact that the message they try to give you is your flaws are your flaws. But despite you having flaws, you are loved. Mm-hmm. So don't worry about your flaws. They're, learn- they're, they're part of what makes you you, and you are beautiful, and somebody loves you. And if you don't feel like you're being, you're loved, 
I, that's that's very sad. And so you know what? There might be people out there. If if, if you know somebody who maybe doesn't think they they're loved, go love that person. Well, no, I'd heard a, a something. And if you feel like you're not being loved, find somebody who loves you because I'm there. Your parents should love you. Somebody loves you. No, but um, there was a I think a little saying that I, I'm not sure where I picked it up. It probably was online somewhere about you know if if you um, can compliment someone, do it. Yeah. Like if you can say some nice things to someone to to brighten their day, then go ahead and do it. Don't don't waste time on it. Don't be embarrassed. And and that's something you know. I mean, pixie that, dust. Yeah, that's what we you do. Know. We pixie dust. Uh, Handshake and a smile. Mm-hmm. Hug if it's if they're okay with that. So on one other show a little love to somebody. One other thing that I want to kind of throw in there. Um, if you have not read the book, um, and you go see the movie, um. Go and read the book. Okay, there there are some things that they did change in the movie. No twins, apparently. Yeah, there are no t- in the book. If you are a real big fan of the book, you will notice that there are some some changes. Um, and I don't I, I don't know. I liked the diversity of the uh, of the the cultural and ethnic you know background of, of who they chose to portray. And, and I love the adopted and, family. And I love and the, adopted, the way they treat that. Mm-hmm, Makes re- a good. And all that kid is so adorable. Oh well, all the kids I thought were yeah. really adorable oh, so and good. acted. Really, yes. really well, um, but there the book is very much written with Caucasian people yeah. involved. I mean, there are people. That I think have it was written to be English the way red you hair about and blonde. It. Yeah, the, it, I I don't know if Madeline Lingle uh, like where if she's from England or whatever or, or you know United States, but there does seem to be in here. Um, it seems to be set in a you know maybe maybe England or or Europe or you know uh, maybe Eastern. Uh, United States, where the there are older houses and and you know that kind of mystery part of it. So there's there's a few setting things and a few um, liberties they took with the the background of some of them. But I don't. It doesn't take anything away from the story and it does either book or the movie. I think um, if you want a good movie to go take your kids to, that you're gonna feel good about taking them to, yeah. and they're gonna have a good time and it's gonna be a positive experience for everybody. This is the movie. Yeah, and it will remind you to hey love people because pe- there are people out there who really just are focused on their faults that they need to know that they're loved and i want to tell you you are loved i'm going to go jump spiritual again i promise you god loves you even if you don't believe in him he still loves you okay <laughs> so and i tell you what, if you need to just hear something nice feel free to send me an email i you know i i love all of you i love that you're listening to this and you do this every week and so if you need to feel loved i will do my darndest through electronic communication to just make you sure that you know you are loved and you are special and you are unique and you are put on this earth for a reason and don't let people lie to you that say that you are worthless you are have value and and this movie will help you see hopefully your values because that's I liked this movie. It's it's not something you're supposed to think about uh, the technical stuff. This is more about reminding you that you are loved and that you need to love other people. It is very much about the relationships. Yes. And oh, and it was so, such a great family dynamic. Mm-hmm. Well, because I, I get tired. I they're bringing Roseanne back. I don't want Roseanne back. That showed you a bad negative family and tried to make make light of it. It's funny. It's like no, this is a really screwed up family. And I know some people have some bad family elements. But shouldn't we have some role model families to look at to say, yeah, our family has some flaws, but we love each other and we have some positivity. Because I, re- I I love the relationship between you know adopted brother and sister. There's there's mm-hmm. a real love in there. I mean, this is the type of thing we need to see an example of what, how we should treat each other in our family. But uh, we've gone on a lot longer than I, I expected. Know. But yeah. there's just so many nice things to say about I because I didn't is. I didn't feel like it was preachy at all. It no. Just, and we're going to talk about this and with Brian and I. You're going to hear mm-hmm. this, but it, it didn't feel preachy. It just felt 
affirmative. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good stuff. Uh, which I think, you know, Tomorrowland, I think, tried to do that. But somehow or another, Tomorrowland didn't quite get the same vibe of what the, I think they were trying to do with innovation or whatever. Somehow or another, that one fell flat. This one, to me, didn't fall flat. Mm-hmm. It was very uplifting and it's, it's a good reminder. Mm-hmm. So, yep. Okay. I think we've, I've been repeating myself. So yeah. <laughs> uh, we are going to have a trailer park a little bit. You're going to hear when I talk to Brian, we're going to talk about this new Christopher Robin teaser. Yay, it's poo. It's it's poo. Yeah. And is if you haven't seen it, pause this podcast right now. Go look it up on YouTube uh, because I was delighted when Poo showed up, uh, I got to say. But we'll talk about that a little bit here with Brian, which uh, let's just dive right in because it's a good long conversation. To Disney and beyond. Okay, so we're going to do something a little bit different. We haven't done this in a while and had a panel of people to talk about some things. Although right now the panel of people, we just have two of us right now because poor Eric is not feeling well right now. And from the real Brian show, we have the fake Brian. No, I'm kidding. It's the real Brian. (laughs) I try to be as fake as no real as possible. What I thought would be interesting, and this was inspired actually by somebody's YouTube video that looks like they'd put a lot of effort in. And they really compared what the modern Disney animation and even live action studio has been doing compared to what we would call Walt's way of doing things and actually took a look at the fact that there is, you know, Walt's era compared to, you know, the renaissance of the 90s and what many people are calling the new renaissance with, you know, Tangled and Frozen and Wreck-It Ralph and the uh, new caliber of Disney films. And really looking at the difference now, not necessarily saying that anything that's newer is not good movies necessarily, but that there's definitely something missing. And so I thought it would be interesting to talk about some of these differences. So now, Brian, you're not like technically a Disney fan, but you do enjoy some of the classic Disney films. I'm Yeah, I'm a fan of like, you know, Disney classic live action kind of stuff. Maybe, maybe some of the animated from, you know, way, way back yonder. Uh, but no, not as much of a fan of the modern animated by any means. Although Disney has acquired so many different things, you know, I'm mm-hmm. a Marvel fan, I'm a Star Wars fan, stuff like that. So a lot of the acquisitions that they have, definitely fans of stuff like that. I guess we could even go to like Pirates of the Caribbean, you know, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, that's a whole new genre of films that they really, you know, based on their attractions. I mean, we've got yes. Jungle Cruise coming up now. Yeah. And, you know, that's something that Disney has always done is been able to base their films off of something that already exists in a way. They, they've they typically done, you know, fairy tales or various books. Uh, and I do see Disney is continuing to do that with, you know, A Wrinkle in Time even coming out. Oh, yeah. You know, finding the right stories. Disney has been very good about that. Walt spent a lot of time trying trying to acquire the rights to anything that he could and even at one point was trying to get the rights to the Wizard of Oz series so that he could you know make those films but he didn't get the rights and Wizard of Oz of course made by somebody else but MGM did a great job of it so i mean that's kind of how disney has operated and so it is it kind of still fits that they're using park attractions as like an established thing to say hey you know we can make films based off of that so i look back at some of the you know, the live actions that I liked. And I think two of my absolute favorite Disney movies. Well, actually I'm going to go even three because my third one's a little cheesy, but two of my favorites were Swiss family Robinson, which they didn't write. You know, what was that? Johan David Wiss or Weiss or however you pronounce his last name. Um, Something like that. Yeah. And then of course, uh, 20,000 leagues under the sea. And that was Jules Verne. 
Uh, but I did like Last Flight of Noah's Ark. Do you remember that one? <laughs> Actually, I've never heard of that one. Oh, that's such a cheese ball movie, but it's awesome. Beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> See, I like stuff like that. The old live action stuff. Yeah, but they didn't write it. That's the thing. I mean, they they adapted it, which again, maybe. Right. So yeah, that that actually probably brings up even another discussion point going into this is the adapt, you know, the adapted movies versus what they actually wrote and created. Which, you know, a lot of times they adapt, they, they Disneyfy it. Sure. In a lot of ways. I mean, when you look at Frozen, it is supposed to be based on Hans Christian Andersen's The Snow Queen. But it doesn't bear any resemblance to it whatsoever. Yeah. So that's almost more of a Disney original. And even stuff that we consider Disney originals usually has a basis in something. I mean, Wreck-It Ralph is pretty much a Disney original story, mm-hmm. but it really borrows heavily from a lot of those games that we loved in the 80s and, you know, helps make it more fun. Sort of like Ready Player One is mm-hmm. going to be, you know, part of the fun of that is all the Easter eggs and references to all these great games, movies and stuff like that. Yeah. So Wreck-It Ralph set the stage for Ready Player One to be made. That's what it did. That's And that's so. great because the book was, you know, Ready Player One book was awesome. But I did also like Wreck-It Ralph. So there you go. There's a yes. modern animated that I love. But I like video games. So there you go. Yeah. So it taps into that. So totally. there is a bit more. I think Disney is trying to create some of their own stuff. But most of the, you know, the, the bread and butter is adapting fairy tales or some, you know, books, you know, a lot of our fairy tales were from some sort of a book, you know, some older books, some classics and sure. stuff like that. But the the detail that we get into is how the film was made, you know, compared to how Walt would do it and his idea and concept for for how he wanted to tell a story compared to how they try to tell stories now. And it, this could be maybe the guilt of, you know, or just the way of how we modernly tell a story. We have a different expectations from film now, um, which, you know, you could say Disney might be keeping up with the times, uh, especially with a lot of, you know, everything's about social justice these days. And Disney's definitely been following that, even Black Panther, which is still a great film, even though we completely understand the subtext of the film. We understand what they're trying to say. They had to take that time to give us some platitudes and preach the message to us. Yeah which is something a lot, I don't know if a lot of other films are guilty of it, but this is something I think the modern era of Disney is becoming guilty of considering Zootopia, which instead of subtext, they just hammer you over the head. You know, you're doing fine, you know, a good movie. Then all of a sudden they have to make their point. And you have that scene there with uh, uh, our two lead characters where it's like the, oh, huh, we're about racism. Ha ha, you've stereotyped the fox, haven't you? Yeah. And yeah. I, the movie dropped for me at that moment. I still yeah. enjoy that movie, but that's that's a problem I'm seeing with the modern. Watching this film and going into more of those classic animated films, like I know you, I think you've mentioned you really liked Pinocchio, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's been a long time since I've seen you know the original animated, but yes, I did enjoy that. But when you take something like Pinocchio, there is a subtext just visually. Mm-hmm. They don't have to rely on dialogue, but. Uh, when you have the, you know, because it's it's a morality tale, really. It's it's a fable, of you've got a clean slate character who's thrown out into the world who has to now l- learn a morality by his encounters that he has with all the various characters. And in one bit there, when he's he's taken away by this guy who basically occasionally even has devilish features, he's taken away and told he can do all these bad things without any repercussions. And so you got Pinocchio who's trying to, oh, he's 
smoking and drinking and destroying things. You know, all you see all these boys causing all this chaos, but eventually they turn into they well, they make asses of themselves. That's pretty much what it is. And are now going to be taken away to a salt mine underground. And there's some allegory there of you know, the devil basically telling you, oh, you get to do whatever you want and uh, there won't be any consequences, but eventually you're, you lose, are stripped of all of your humanity and are taken to hell. Uh, you know, there's, there's yeah. this allegorical thing, but they, it's subtext. They didn't have to come out and no one has to comment on it. Yeah. It's just there and you understood it. And it's great cinematography, but in like these newer films, and that might be why you haven't been able to enjoy some of these newer animation. I, yeah, I would definitely say that there's, that is a huge part of it is I'm, but it's not just Disney animation. I mean, uh, you know, as you know, I used to do Arrow Squad and, and Arrow and all those DC shows right now are, are cramming agendas down people's throats too. And Woo! yeah. And we so can preach on that. <laughs> and I can't even honestly, like I can't even watch those shows anymore because of that. So yeah, that's a very big factor for me because you're right. If there's a, a subtext or if there, there's some suggestions, like here's what's going on. I mean, take, for example, this is always a classic comparison. Dances with Wolves was a very clear agenda, but they didn't cram it down your throat like yeah. they did with Avatar. <laughs> I didn't even watch that one. <laughs> so, I mean, but that's the thing. You've got this. You're right. It's like this modern era. They they assume that people maybe aren't smart enough, I guess, to to read between the lines. So now they need to, like, stop the film and, like, they look at the camera and they're telling you, okay, viewer, let me tell you what we're doing here. <laughs> it's like it's almost that bad. And you're going, no, it's really mm-hmm. not like you don't, you don't need to tell us. I think, um, I don't think this was Disney. Uh, who, who did, um, Kubo, who did Kubo? Kubo. Um, that was, uh, I, I always say it wrong. Like, 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 like but, uh, completely different animation company. They okay. did stuff. I think they did like Coraline, uh, the yeah. box trolls. Okay. Well, there's something uh, in there. Oh my that gosh, they're brilliant. They are, and they, but they did do one thing in there, and 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 the only reason I remember this is because I, I, for some reason, all of the Cinemarks now are showing the same previews over and over and over. So I saw that preview <laughs> so many times that that scene just got like nagged in my head, um, and that's the only reason I can remember this. But I know that Disney movies are doing this too. So it's the idea where a joke happens, they say something that's a phenomenal joke, and then they stop and they try, it, and then they explain it to you. And you're like, no, oh. no, 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 no. You just, you just killed it. You can't you explain the joke. the joke. Yeah. There's no reason for that. So they did that in that movie at one point. And I thought, you know, there, there's definitely, um, I don't know if it's called the dumbing down of the audience or I don't know. It's like, you're, you're right though. It's, it's less of the, let's let the viewer just kind of interpret it and figure it out and enter it, you know, in their own way. Now we're telling you, this is how we want you to watch it. This is what we want you to take from it. This is how we want you to laugh. This is, you know, we're going to explain the joke now. It's, it's interesting. Mm-hmm. And it's not just yeah, a Disney thing, but that is definitely something I see. Yeah. So that's why I think Disney might be guilty of, of just being a modern film company. Yeah. And again, that, cause that was part of the fun of going to a movie used to be discussing it. Oh, did you kind of think oh, about yeah. that? You know, a movie, you know, if you're going to, especially if you're going to have a message to the movie, you're maybe trying to tell a morality tale something you can actually discuss later and not, Oh, well, they obviously said that. Yep. Yep. That's what they said. But something you could actually talk about like, Oh, you know, I kind of thought this when they said that, Oh, you know, that's interesting. You can't have these discussions as well anymore because now it's, it's dropped in your lap. Yeah. Well, I know like we, we just discussed black Panther on the real Brian show. And one, one thing that, you know, we, we took race out of it because that is definitely a very strong theme right now with that whole movie is that black people are featured as the heroes, as the, the main characters. Awesome. That is phenomenal. 
what we did is we said, let's take, you know, the quote race sort of thing, just move it aside for a second and let's just look at the story. Let's just look mm-hmm. at the movie itself. And uh, yeah, we, we were actually a little disappointed that the, um, I mean, it was, it was fine. The movie was fine. It wasn't bad, but it wasn't phenomenal either. And I thought, you know, for a movie that is, is doing so many good things, uh, I thought the story was just kind of average. I felt like it was just another pumped out thing, kind of like you're talking about. There's just, there's so much going on. There's the modern movie factory kind of feel. And it's just like, there could have been so much more in that movie you know, from a, an origin standpoint from, you know, cause you, I don't know if you, you thought this, but when we saw Captain America Civil War, um, one of the, well, for me personally, I've always went, man, I want to know more about Black Panther. And I know other people yeah. were saying similar things like, Oh, he seems cool. I want to, I want to know more about him. So then when you hear that there's going to be a Black Panther movie, everybody's excited. Oh my gosh, this is amazing. And the origin story for me was good, but it wasn't like, wow. It was just like, huh? Okay. Yeah. It's another Marvel movie. Yep. And it's a good Marvel movie. It is. But it's the way the critics treated it before it came out. It's like everybody was afraid to say anything bad about it because everybody treated it like it was this great cultural phenomenon. When really I'm like, okay, we saw Blade movies. I don't know, Beverly Hills Cop. We've had some great black heroes before. You know, so it wasn't really, to me, that culturally significant. It was another Marvel film that I was excited for and I very much enjoyed it. But I, I was expecting the way they treated it. This should have been Lord of the Rings when I went into yes, it. Yes. And it exactly. wasn't. Yeah. But it was a good movie. I did have a great time. And I did like that. I don't think they pounded this message in there. But I did like that you did see that playing the blame game or carrying the bitterness because your ancestors had a, you know, things were done, definitely done wrong. But hanging on to that bitterness and turning that into hate is just going to cause destruction. Mm-hmm. That message was definitely there. I don't think they they pounded that one in your face. No. But it was definitely there. You could see it in Killmonger because you could understand it could relate to that character. Well done, Michael B. Jordan, I must say. He was yeah. really great with that yeah. character. Yeah, and, and I honestly do laugh at that because the irony of what you just said there is that here's a Disney movie, although it's Marvel, they didn't pound the message in your face. And that's exactly what we're talking about is movies modern movies are pounding it in your face and they actually didn't the reviewers and the critics are pounding the message in people's faces, but the movie itself actually didn't. And I've even heard uh, people do reviews and critics on here's what the movie was saying. And it's like, well, no, actually it didn't say that because <laughs> it <laughs> yeah. actually had a really good message and it was a very, uh, I mean like at the end, well, I don't want to give too much away, but it went from being prideful to humble and to generous and that's an amazing yes. message, and that's not what people are entirely interpreting. It's interesting. Yep. And now some of the ways that uh, – and this is where I want to get into that that Walt era. Walt – and I'm studying cinematography right now. Nice. There are so many ways though how you move the camera, how you color correct, you know, all these things you can do with the image alone. You can convey such emotions. And Walt, when he was telling a story, when he was, you know, we were making these grand animated films at the time, he wasn't thinking, I'm making kids movies. He was thinking, I am making movies to compete with some of the great films that are out there. He borrowed from German Expressionism, some of the horror things. He wanted to make sure the evil queen in Snow White was just as frightening as Dracula. Yeah. And when you look at the way he tells story, the visualization of it is up to par with any movie at that time, and even better than some of the modern movies of just 
visually telling the story. Uh, and then even in the YouTube video that uh, that I that inspired this conversation, they compared the fight in Bambi between you know, with with the rival oh, yeah. for uh, Feline yeah. versus the Lion King. Yeah. And in Bambi, you know, Lion King, okay, you get to see it and it's slow motion and there's fire and it looks cool. And I still yeah. like the Lion King. But Bambi, they decided, you know what, to make it scary and intense, you don't you see shapes with just different colors of light reflecting on the bodies of Bambi and the 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 villain character. Yeah. And it's just streaks of like red and blue and it's it's fast moving. And the music well, in The Lion King, it's it's beautiful music. I I do love Hans Zimmer, and, but it doesn't it doesn't help tell the story other than being background. Hmm. In Walt's time, he made that music. It's almost like a ballet or a symphony. It's the music is keeping pace with the action, and and as people would like to say, to say about John Williams, John Williams is good at telling you how to feel. That's why we love John Williams because he's. He does put that emotion in there. Yeah. And that's sure. what some of the old music, especially Bambi, the music is so brilliant and you have such great sequences. I like that fight, uh, like the April showers, and you've got choreographed raindrops that follows everything. I mean, the entire sound of a storm is music. Hmm. You don't actually have, you know, you, you hear the wind through the voices. And I mean, that is... Wow, I, I don't have a word for it. But see, that's the way Walt would do it. He would tell such a story. And we, they even coined the term Mickey Mousing, where the action matched the music so well that it was like the, they were animating to the music, which is why Fantasia worked, because it was pretty much, oh, we know how to do this, because we've done Bambi and Pinocchio and all these other films. That, and so now we can actually take a symphony and animate to a symphony. And it's, it was brilliant. It was experimental. It's hard to watch because it's long. It can't be boring. But... That's something when when these modern movies that are, you know, Disney's became uh, musicals, like a modern musical, which is still good, but they lost something of that music telling the story in the background and that cinematography. The more where they rely upon a computer, some of that cinematography has kind of gone by the wayside. Yeah. Which was where that subtext would be in the in the cinematography. But OK, so I've been a long <laughs> Go ahead and respond to that one. I kind of went on for a long time. <laughs> no, I, I completely agree with you. And it's it's interesting because it was interesting hearing from that perspective because I think the, um, you know, just as a, as a layman viewer, you know, who doesn't know all of the ins and outs of that, I see that, right? So I see some of those old, old stories told and you feel like, you know, it's so funny that you mentioned the, the Bambi scene because the Bambi scene for me, I mean, granted, it's been a while since I've seen it, but I do remember being almost traumatically affected by it versus Lion King was like, okay, <laughs> you know what I mean? It was cool. Yeah. And it was a little like sad at times, but you know, I was not affected to the level even close to what I was by that Bambi scene. So Especially I'm glad you brought that Bambi's up. Mother. Oh my gosh. I know. I mean, it's like that literally traumatized children. Yeah. Well, okay. Lion King did, I don't think anybody was traumatized when, when uh, uh, Mufasa died. Well, you, you don't want to traumatize people today. Oh, of course. We gotta be safe. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. Wasn't uh wasn't old Yeller Disney? Yes, and I can't watch go. that one because I know how it ends. Exactly. How many people are traumatized by that? Yes. Oh, they just and, they, yeah. And even Dumbo, one of my favorites, but it's one of the hardest scenes to watch. The baby mind oh, sequence. Yeah. If if you can keep from crying during that, there's you're, there's something wrong with you. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right about that. And I, I think it it is interesting when you can create the whole 
You're right. What is that word? I mean, it's like a full-on masterpiece, basically. But it's like when you've got the synergy and the chore, you know, the choreography between the music and the visuals and everything that's going on. That is unbelievable. You're taking people on an emotional experience at that point. You know, you're you're take. It's not just you're showing them something. You're actually inviting them to join you in the experience, in the story, and live it with them. Yeah, is essentially Which what is he impressive. did. For being a drawing on paper, yeah. you're taking this as real and feeling emotions about a character that is completely fake. Yeah. Which is one of the reasons why, you know, when when they were making Snow White, they were calling it Walt's Folly. But Walt was determined to say, I'm going to make the most believable, real characters I can on 2D. And he knew for that first screening when... They, you know, they open up there and the dwarves are all crying around Snow White laying in her sleep. They're thinking dead. He heard people cry in the audience and he knew I've got them. They've bought into this. This drawing yeah. has become real characters to them. OK, so you just brought up a point that I know that really bothers me personally about modern day, uh, especially. Well, let's say modern day animated, especially. Um, but this goes with Disney movies and stuff, too. You just said that what Walt would do was create realism. He would compete mm-hmm. with the great classics, with the you know the actual things that were going on in that time. He wasn't trying to create a kids' movie. And so, when you start to do that, when you're competing with the greats, when you're looking to bring emotion and realism and everything into it, you know you feel like this isn't animated anymore. You feel like these are real people. the mm-hmm. The problem with uh, modern day animation, and I don't know why this is. I've even talked to various voice actors and actresses about this. Why are the characters so overdramatic in today's animated? <laughs> I mean, so overdramatic that it's like these characters aren't even remotely believable. They're, they're like vocal inflections don't match what's going on half the time. Yeah. And I was asking uh, one of, I did interview uh, one voice actress and, and she was even saying, you know, she wasn't entirely sure why they did that, but um, her theory was, is that, you know, they don't allow themselves to immerse into the character and a lot of actors and actresses will do that but if you're pushing them out too fast you never have that time here's a case in point the game destiny 2 um your companion is called you know the ghost and all that and they had peter dinklage you know who's been in a number of things most probably most famously now game of thrones um they had him do the voice well he's a big actor right it's gonna be amazing well he never really put his heart into it he seemed kind of eh and so I would say not even a year later, they actually replaced him with a whole nother voice actor who I think wow. did a phenomenal job. They replaced Peter Dinklage because he sucked. <laughs> I mean, let's just, he wasn't in it. He didn't care. And so, you know, thank, thank goodness that uh, Destiny 2 did that. But I think it's interesting, you know, when, when you've got these people who are, are doing these things and you're going, oh my gosh. Like, the, I would tell you, and I know Peter Rabbit wasn't Disney, I had no desire to see Peter Rabbit because I was watching the voice animations and I was like, ugh. <laughs> Yeah, it's just and part of that thing. problem. You have people who they focus on voice and their voice talent, and they can bring such great character in just their voice. And then you have people who are movie stars, and we're used to seeing them in live action. Yeah, and to bring in the money, they will cast these movie stars, these big names, in to do voice work, and not all of them can really change yeah. their style of acting because it's a completely different it way to is. act. It's not the same thing. And that's not what they're, like you said, they're not, they're not great at that. The video game voice actors, they're the people you need to hire because they know how to create 
there there's one guy I can tell you right now that does all kinds of different things. In fact, he does on Star Wars Rebels. Steve Bloom on uh, on Star Wars Rebels, he does Zeb. Well, you also yeah. play Guild Wars 2. I play mainly play the first one. I think at the second one I haven't dove in. So in Guild Wars 2, he also does the the Char Ritlock. And he sounds nothing alike. I had to honestly say, who is this guy? This guy's really good. And I'm like, wait a minute, Steve, that's the same guy that does Zeb. And, and no way. There's no way it's the same guy because he's that good. Now, granted, they probably adjusted his voice a little bit. But when you see voice actors who can go around and change their voice into amazing different. See, those are the people that make it believable. And looking back at classic Disney, Walt's era, I mm-hmm. never felt that when I was hearing somebody like going back to Snow White, when I would hear her speak or hear other people speak, I never felt like it was that overdramatic. Sometimes, yes, but it was still believable to me. It still felt like these are characters that I can actually identify with or relate to or feel like, man, this is a real person, you know, versus today's stuff. I'm like, this is just so out there. Here's the thing, though. Wreck-It Ralph. I didn't feel that in Wreck-It Ralph. I felt like everybody did a pretty dang good job in that one from a voice perspective, which is probably another reason I liked it. Yeah, it was. I was actually because I'm I'm not a fan of Sarah Silverman and any any other work that she's done, but she did a good job as Vanellope because mm-hmm. that that was a different difference compared to you know. And I was really hearing some of the casting. I was like, golly, I don't know. But I think also what carries it is Alan Tudyk, mm-hmm. and I've gotten to see him now at Planet Comic Con. So good, though. he is so versatile. What yeah. he can do with his voice. And it's not just about making a funny voice with voice actors. You've got to create a character completely with your voice and everything you do without being your body. But the way you say things, everything has to be a character. And Alan Tudyk is he's one of those people who I think he is so versatile between playing live action characters and doing animated characters in Disney films and some video games. Now he's done. You know, he's he is awesome. Yeah. Well, you know, when he did one thing, the droid in uh, Rogue, Rogue One, I mean, I knew oh. it was him, but I, even even going in knowing I, this is Alan Tudyk, I still had a hard time seeing his face while I was listening to this droid talk. I'm like, dang, he was so good with that. Yes. And he that was a pretty awesome. basic role, to be honest, compared to other yeah. roles he's done. So, yeah. But it, oh, it was a great role. He made that role something special. It, he he was the star of that movie. I mean, the whole movie was great, yeah. but he was the star. <laughs> he yeah, because he made it so you. Did, I I I thought I was gonna cry when when. Okay, spoilers <laughs> once again. You know when his character is dying. Yeah, and he it's sure he's a machine, but you felt like he was such a character, and you love the character yeah. that when he, when you see him dying, you're just you're heartbroken a little bit. So maybe we're onto something here. Maybe if if Disney can create a basically an unreal, a non-real character and make you fall in love with it to the point where you believe it's real and you cry if they die or anything else, which goes to animation. These are not real characters, right? You know, animals yeah. don't really talk. Well, some do. Anyway, so you know what I'm saying though? <laughs> like if 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 they can create that where you connect with the character so much. That's powerful. Yeah. And Pixar, I think, still is able to do such a thing. Pixar, yeah. you, every time you watch, go into a Pixar movie for the first time, just bring your tissues. They are <laughs> so good at, at that still. And that's why John Lasseter, I think he really has learned a lot of things from Walt's storytelling and some of the stuff that he's done. And some of those team at Pixar, they seem to know how to get to you. 
And what I what I want to see change, and this is something I've even got listed on one of the things that this is a problem. I blame the Oscars, the Academy, for for part of the problem of why animation now we're getting such junky ones. Beauty and the Beast, the first animated film ever to be nominated for Best Picture, a, an animated film being treated the same as anything else being put out by Hollywood. Any other film, it's kept up there. What's the Academy do? They say we can't pick that one. It's animated. Hmm. And they snubbed it. Yeah. Cause it was a better movie than silence of the lambs, which did win that year. Hmm. And so they, because of beauty and the beast, they created a separate field for best animated feature. They officially took a movie that should be, you know, a, a, a type of film that should be treated as something. Hey, this is for everybody. And they put it in an area. And it's like, well, these are kids films. Yeah. And so now we yeah. have Disney feeling like they have to make that. That's what they do. They make kids films, which might be part of the reason why they are so heavy handed sometimes with a message because they have to talk down to a kid yeah. or something. Yeah. Maybe they feel yeah. they have to do that instead of making films that, you know, cause heck I'm a big kid, so I'm still enjoying them. But when you look, I mean, beauty and the beast was something that adults could enjoy as sure. well. Oh yeah. Uh, and a lot of those classic Disney animation, they're very grown up. I mean, sure, kids are going to love them, but the adults loved it too. Adults were crying at Snow White. Yeah. Adults were crying at Dumbo. Here's the thing, though. They he didn't make kids' movies back then. They didn't have to talk down to kids back then. Right. If you got it, great. If you didn't, well, you'll get it when you're a little older. <laughs> you know? yeah. Oh, well. Yeah, they'll totally. find a way to it'll appeal to you at whatever age. And so you'll come back and watch it again. Because, heck, even Star Wars, yeah. when I was a kid, I didn't quite get everything. The more I've watched it, the older I get, you know, you get more out of it. You understand totally. more and you're just, wow, your mind is blown. Because although George Lucas said he made Star Wars for 12-year-olds, it was universal. Everybody could enjoy it. Yeah. And that's what Disney was like. So And now... <laughs> What okay? So speaking modern though, did you like the live action reboot of Beauty and the Beast? Well, I liked it, but I didn't love it. Yeah, I adore, that is my favorite animated Disney film. Mm -hmm. I adore that picture. And so when I did a live action, I must say I was nervous. I'm like, oh, please don't mess this up. But when we got to see those first images of the interior of the castle and they they played some of the score on piano, I was like, okay. I'm interested mm -hmm. and I, I did enjoy it, but I think I enjoyed it for the story's sake. It's a overall, it's a good story and getting a little bit of extra details of the beast was kind of nice. Mm -hmm. Personally, I would rather have them adapted the Broadway musical because some of the songs of the Broadway musical is fantastic. And we didn't get any of those new songs. So a little disappointed, but overall not bad. And I have for the most part, other than Maleficent, which I absolutely hated that one. <laughs> uh, but for the most of the part, I have enjoyed these, these live action adaptations you know, and because I'm still having fun, but it's it mainly might be the nostalgia of I love yeah. the animated one. So here's a live action. And then when they stay pretty faithful, but maybe expand on the story, I end up enjoying it. Yeah. So they really can't stray away because that might be why I hated Maleficent. It strayed way too far in the opposite direction of yeah. Sleeping Beauty. Although I have to tell you, you're right. You're right. You know, you if you have like a pretty high, exp not, not even an expectation, but like. You know, it's going to take a lot to beat the original animated Beauty and the Beast Journal for you, mm -hmm. right? I didn't have that, yeah. and I loved this new reboot. Like, I thought it was fantastic, but you're right. It didn't stray really from, you know, the original yeah. thing. It, it was a modern adaptation, but at the same time, it's like it stayed pretty true to the story. I'm with you. Mm -hmm. I couldn't stand Maleficent. That drove me crazy. There were so many psychotic scenes in there, you know, her staring all the time, and I'm like, you're creepy. Yeah. 
Ah, no, I they didn't like it though. It was great, weird. They turned a great Disney villain into a jealous ex-girlfriend. So, and it was like, what? <laughs> I know. It but felt I know like people somebody that had movie. had a bad one night stand and then wrote the script the next day. <laughs> With a hangover. With a hangover. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was, it, uh, I, I know, I know people liked it, but I was just like, no, that was not for me, man. I remember we saw it in the theater and even, it was so funny because at one point even Sarah said, I said something about Maleficent. She goes, oh, I didn't see that. I'm like, yeah, we did. We saw it in the theater. She goes, oh, must not have liked it. <laughs> like, no, we didn't. <laughs> oh, it's funny. Yeah, that was, that I think is probably one of the few times I left a movie theater fuming. Mm. I was so mad at how badly they'd done that story. Uh, and you know, Beauty and the Beast, like I said, I, I, I liked it. I think I need to watch it again because I really did like it, Yeah. but I still, I'm still so faithful to the animated and I sure, really sure. liked what they did with the jungle book. Uh, Cinderella. I liked what they did with that one. Um, we'll see what else have they done live action now? Uh, I guess it's about all of it. Which did you see the live action Cinderella? It's actually pretty good. I haven't seen the new Cinderella and I, I haven't seen the new jungle book. I actually meant to go watch that and that got off my radar. And I well, love the was original too. Really exciting because they 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 took what you knew from the animated and they added a little bit more stories from the book. Nice. And so it was really cool and it stayed very faithful. So I'm pretty confident that they nice. can do some pretty good stuff with whatever they're doing. Eventually, they're probably going to kill something. But it's it's even being able to tap in that nostalgia and my love for stuff that gets me excited. Have you seen the teaser for Christopher Robin? Mm. Uh, you know I've not, but I am excited about that one. See, I didn't know about this. I knew there was a film, and it's already out on Voodoo. You can buy it digitally. That's about A.A. Uh, a. Milne and writing the book, uh, and it's it's something titled something something Christopher Robin. So I did not know about this film because it kind of got overshadowed. Yeah. But I watched the teaser this week, and they managed to tap into my nostalgia and love for the original Winnie the Pooh hmm. and getting to see a live-action teddy bear Winnie the Pooh. Yeah. Even briefly – it was enough to make, I got excited. Nice. Yeah. I, I've seen so the posters is all, but I'm excited about it. Yeah. See there, they can seem to tap into the net nostalgia and I, part of, you know, with filmmaking, you want to make guaranteed money makers when you're being, becoming a movie factory, unfortunately, and tapping into stuff that we're familiar with does tend to draw in an audience, which I think is yep. part of the success of Marvel is you've got all the fans of the comics because we're familiar with these characters that's the same thing with Star Wars. We're kind of familiar with this universe. So they've already got an instant audience. Yeah. Now, whether or not they make a good movie with that instant audience is a completely different matter. But that's, I think, what Disney's doing is they're spending a lot of time with a pre-made audience. Even though, I mean, it is still part of the formula. Like with Wrinkle in Time coming out, they've already got an audience for people who love those books. I, I haven't read it. I We oh, bought a copy of it. Fantastic uh, Heather's book. going to read it. Yeah. I want to read it. I'm going to see the movie first. Good. But they've got a pre-made audience, but yet that is still them adapting something. So it's still, I think, Disney doing what they do best. Sure. That is a pre-made audience, but I think they did a really poor movie years ago. I never even saw it, but from yeah, what I remember, early 2000s. It was, yeah, it was a like just a terrible B-rate movie. Um, but no, the book was fantastic. And, and I got to tell you that um, at least as, to my knowledge, that book was one of the leading pioneers to basically create what a lot of sci-fi does now today you know with their their uh travel basically i don't want to give too much yeah, away if you haven't seen it but yeah especially with the it looks like they're they're talking a lot about you know alternate universes and stuff like that which is very much a, a big thing for modern sci-fi you get a lot of that these yeah. days too. yeah but i mean that book was written a long time ago 
Uh, yeah, in a galaxy far, far away. Yeah, <laughs> uh-huh. I had to. Do it. <laughs> no, it's it is good, and I'm I appreciate that they're doing that. I'm I'm excited to go see that one, but I got to tell you, it's a I'm I am a little nervous because the book. It's the same kind of thing. Like you create the world in your mind, you know, or like you go to see mm-hmm. Beauty and the Beast animated first, and then you come in with this. Well, this is how I felt when I first experienced it. So there's no way it's going to be the same. So I'm trying to go in with an open mind. Same with like Ready Player One and same with all those. Mm -hmm. And that's the other thing too is you're right. The built-in audience, which means reboots and um, sequels is pretty much why we're seeing so many of those is because there's an audience. They can guarantee they're going to make money. Are we getting tired of it yet? Are we getting tired of the superhero, you know, genre right now? Are we getting tired of seeing the same movies rebooted, you know, or, or the 56th sequel, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah, and I know some people are already weary of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Personally, I'm still loving it. I'm having fun because yeah. when I go to a movie, I that's 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 my whole thing. I just want to entertain. I want to shut my brain off for a little bit and just have some fun. Yeah, which might be like you were saying once on your show with the Last Jedi. That's probably why I enjoyed it my first time because I was like, it's a Star Wars movie. Let me just kick back and have some fun. Yes. Yep, and I did. It was too. my second viewing that I started thinking about the subtext and all the stuff, and I was like, "Ooh, this movie is actually really deep and it's fun." Yeah, so. yeah. Well, but that goes back to Walt's era. There weren't yep. reboots and all that. I mean, granted, like I said, there were adaptations to books and stories that were already written. Like I mentioned, Swiss Family Robinson yep. and you know, Twenty Thousand Leagues and all that. So yes, he had already taken already written stories and adapted them, but then a lot of his original stuff that was his thing. It might have yeah, been like influenced by something, but yeah, it was his thing. And yeah. nowadays, and the you, way yeah. you tell the story was definitely his style. So are we seeing either a lazy era of, of movie making and storytelling, or are we seeing a we're spread so thin because we're making too many freaking movies and stories that they just can't, there's the creativity is just out the window because they're just so busy. And that's a valid question because that's like the CW shows with Arrow. That's a great show. Yep. Then we got The Flash. Oh, a great show. And it seemed like the more shows, though, that Greg Berlanti was trying to put out, the more they started to all suffer. Yep. Absolutely. And he got spread a little too thin. And now Disney here recently, they granted Lucasfilm is still uh, making their own movies. Marvel Studios is still making their own movies. So Disney doesn't have complete control like that. Disney's doing Disney Studios. I mean, they're all under the Disney umbrella, but these are still separately working. But over we have seen now Lucasfilm has just hit the gas and because we got Ryan Johnson's going to write some sort of other trilogy we got a couple other guys going to write their own series of films we're hitting the gas and is making as many Star Wars movies as we possibly can mm-hmm. Marvel seems to be doing that but Marvel of course has had a plan from way ahead like you know they they've had a direction they've been going with these films and I think that has been working as you know the interconnectedness uh, yeah but then but, plus yeah, the TV shows too yeah, the TV shows being connected in. So, I mean, at least they've they have planned this out. And Star Wars, I feel like it's kind of got that plan, but it also feels like they're just like, oh, that's a good idea. Hey, let's make more Star Wars movies based on this idea. Yeah. So I worry about the future of Star Wars more than I worry about the future of Marvel films, other than, you know, people maybe get tired of superheroes after a while. That could happen. And some people maybe already are, but yeah. I don't know. No, but, I, uh, I agree with Star like Wars. Being laziness or being spread too thin, I worry about maybe being spread too thin because you're trying to do so much. Because, you know, these animated movies, when they used to hand draw them, it took years of development. Yeah. And Pixar still, I think, takes a few years to really develop their films. And I'm sure Disney's still taking a, a lot of time with their animated films to, to develop them. But 
it, it does sometimes feel like they're trying to do as many as they possibly can when it comes to live action. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, I, they pushed that a few too many, few too many films. Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. there's only two of them that I really actually liked. It seems like somewhere, at least in live action, they're trying to pump out as much as they can between Marvel, Star Wars, and Disney films. Yeah. And the animation, I, I, I still think Pixar is still doing something right. And the Disney animation department is kind of oh, close. But it, it seems like they're, I don't know, it doesn't seem like they're taking as much time to create the artisticness. And I think a part of it, they're getting maybe too dependent upon what they can do with these computers. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, going back to Star Wars, you know, when they were doing puppets and, you know, sound effects with their, like in a sound effects room, you know, versus doing everything mm-hmm. CGI and digital and everything else, you know, as far as sounds. I mean, I remember when The Phantom Menace came out that it was just like, I mean, I hate to say this, but ironically, the puppets looked and felt more real <laughs> than the computer yeah. CGI did. And it was like, what? And I know, you know, that was one thing I was thankful that was done with The Last Jedi was bringing more of that back. Yeah. So you're right. There is something to be said about that. Practical effects. And, you know, I've even heard that, this, too, from from designers and, and people that actually do this kind of stuff, that CGI should be used as touch-up. I mean, yeah. otherwise, we're watching a video game. Yeah. And that's one of the things we're laughing about, The Lion King, that they're calling a live-action film, where you're like, okay, well, you don't have any humans in there, so yeah. even if you have somebody motion-capturing your animals, you still have animated characters. You're just trying to make them look real. Kind of like The Jungle Book was pretty much an animated movie with one human actor, and he yeah. was acting on green screens. Yeah. That's got to be so yeah. hard to do. That kid did a good job, really. When nice. you, We're not saying that these new films are bad. Nope. We're just, they're missing something somewhere. Yeah. They're not drawing and me in personally. And too, you, too much technology, perhaps. Yeah. I mean, you know, I say the same thing about the music industry. Somebody puts out a freshman album and, you know, they've been working on it maybe through their youth. You know, it's like I, I need to I need to learn how to play. I want to write music. And, you know, your entire youth, you're spent perfecting it. And then you put out your first album and it's usually really, really good for the most part. Right. Most of the time. Then you get signed by a record label and things, you know, start to kind of go downhill because they've got these crazy deadlines and you got to write music faster than inspiration can come or whatever the case may be. And then, so you've got that factor too. I mean, I think there are a number of factors and, but I mean, we're, we're, you know, we live in a, I want everything right now because we Mm -hmm. can get everything right now. And so, you know, if I have to wait a year well, actually more than a year for Jessica Jones season two, you know, I mean, shoot, I'm on to DC, forget Marvel. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Although yeah. it just came out, so I'm excited now. But you know what I mean? Like, we, I was like, come on, I want the next Star Wars movie tomorrow. I don't want to wait, you know, six months or a year. Yeah. I'm like, my gosh. It used to be you'd have to, to wait, wait years. three years exactly. for another Star Wars movie. Now we get one every year, whether yeah. it's Saga or something else. I mean, shoot the Although first. Although I'm still enjoying it three. Them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But I mean, don't rush. years in between. Get it done right. Don't, you know, if it's not done right, don't uh-huh. put it out yet. Yeah. But that's what they did with Rogue One. It was supposed to be released in May and they pushed it back to December to get it right. And they did a good job. Yeah. So give yourself times to make the best one. And, and there, there, there are still these great filmmakers out there who know how to do things visually to tell such a great story without, you know, and they take their time to do it properly. But I think they're almost overshadowed by all these other 
you know, as fast as we can do it. And it might even be, I, one thing I noticed the trend, like in the nineties, you had people who were used to doing the quick paced music videos and they started yeah. trying to direct full films and they did a full feature length film as if it was a music video. Uh, and, and they, sometimes what you get is not great quality case in point. If you look at the original crow film, granted, okay, this is my family friendly show and I'm talking about R rated films, but the original <laughs> crow, I do love that movie. It is a good movie. Then you'll see the sequel and it's directed. It was the, his first feature film after having done music videos all this time. Yeah. And it, it's a little silly and it's plays out like an extended music video, but it's part of that. We have to be so quick. And even if you look at how stories were told, you know, even television, the cartoons we watch, you know, they took their time to tell a story compared to if you try to watch any of these newer cartoons, they have to do it so rapid fire because kids are so used to get everything so fast on their phones oh, yeah. and all this stuff that it has to be da, 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 yeah. hyperactivity that they don't get the time to tell a good story and just slow down a little bit. Yeah. Case and in tell point, the story. Blade Runner and Blade Runner 2049. I mean, that was, I mean, I thought both those movies were absolutely fantastic, but I got to tell you, they were slow. And, and even the new one, surprisingly, pleasantly surprisingly, was very yeah. slow. They took their time to tell the story. And I got to tell you, like, it was very funny sitting in the theater because, you know, there's a couple of us that are, you know, Gen Xers and then maybe maybe like older millennials and we enjoyed the movie. We were engaged. And then there were others that were younger millennials or even the Gen Zers now. And they're all on their phones the whole time because I think they were yawning. It's like it's just not mm. enough action for them. There's not enough of that like go, 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 you know, fast twitch. That's what video games are today because that's what they grew up with. And it's almost yeah. like a drug now that if you don't get that, well, yeah, it's boring. I get it because that's what you, you're used to. But, I mean, we grew up with stuff that was slower. And, and it's funny. Yeah. I go back and watch old movies and I start to fall asleep myself, too, because I'm not used to that anymore. It's crazy. Yeah, I think it almost should be required viewing for like for even younger people. Go back and watch Casablanca. Yeah, it's not action packed, but the suspense. Have you ever seen that? I have. Yeah, it was good. I liked that uh, one a lot. The, the suspense yeah. and it builds up tension. It takes its time. And it's like this is what films are supposed to be like. It's the story gets you so emotionally pulled in and takes its time to carry you through this journey and this story. And if people could get more accustomed to that, because unfortunately I think the media is what has trained us to be that way. And because now we're kind of getting that way, the media has to keep up with us. Sure. And that might be part of the problem with modern filmmaking and even modern Disney. It has to be so quick and rapid fire. You have to have a joke every five seconds Yeah. that you don't have time to just, Slow down. Well, you got to keep people off their social media and engaged with the movie. Yeah. And I'm not saying might, that as a joke. Well like, have true. The, it's, they might as well have at the door of a theater. It's like, check your phone in here oh so you gosh. can just come in and focus on nothing else. Yeah. But just let us tell you a story. You know, what's interesting is that there are times where I'll watch something and uh, for, for whatever reason, I'll, I'll feel like I need to check my phone because it's like, well, I need to. I don't know. I need to get to work or I need, you know what I'm saying? Like I need to do something. I don't know why I feel that, but sometimes I do. And I then I think, Oh, that wasn't a very good story. And then I went, wait a minute, let me go back and rewatch that with my phone down and not like just fully engaged in the story. And I realize, Oh my gosh, this was fantastic. But if yeah. I'm not engaged and inserting myself into the story and allowing myself to become part of that experience and that journey, well, of course it's not as good because I'm missing it. No matter how yeah. much everyone's like, well, I'm a multitasker. No, you're not. There's no such thing. <laughs> it doesn't yeah. work. 
It doesn't work. No, something's going to get neglected. Exactly. Statistically, there's no such thing and no, there's no way you can do it. You'll, you'll yeah, hear it, but you can't immerse in it. And this actually even reminds me, uh, however many years ago that they re-released E.T. And they had a few extra scenes yeah. that they'd done their little bit of computer tricks. But I still absolutely love that movie. That is, it is oh, yeah. a brilliant. It is a, it is Spielberg's masterwork. Mm-hmm. And I, I went twice when it was re-released. And then I, the, I went early in the day and it was just me, maybe a couple other people because people were at work and it was great to enjoy. And then I went uh, a couple days later because Heather hadn't, hadn't seen it since she was a little girl. I thought, well, we need to go. And somewhere in behind us was a bunch of teenagers that were not engaging with the film. Yeah. They were on their phones and they were like, boring, this movie's so boring. And just, I, I almost wanted to get up and smack them. They were because they were just doing all this stuff, just wasting time. If they had taken time to just sit, shut down everything, quit talking to each <laughs> other and engage in the film, yeah. they would have been taken through an incredible journey where it's this amazing film that allows you to feel the emotions of a puppet. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, that's powerful. It's really funny because I was actually looking at um, like a demographic breakdown the other day. It's kind of funny because I was trying to figure out like, you know, who are the typical listeners to The Real Brian Show? You know, you Anybody that does any kind of a podcast or a business, you do try to figure out those things. But they've actually come up with a new term now. And Jeremy, you and I fit into this too. We are called Xennials, which means we were born in the Gen X. Well, some of us, like you're either born in Gen X generation. Um, however, you associate well with the millennials because you also grew up with that. So you're a couple years away from the, when the millennials were born. So you might be a Gen Xer and maybe as a kid you have like your Gen X experiences but then later in life like high school college you have the millennial experience because of technology and everything that came out we might have been early adopters of social media so i think in one way it's interesting like not being a quote old fuddy-duddy like you said but having a perspective of seeing things from both sides to be able to Mm -hmm. say yes i i i've lived the world of social media in fact i was on facebook before most people that i know um and now i hate it (laughs) But you know what I mean? Like it's one of those things where I I've seen both sides. Like I have seen the cool part of social media. I've seen the cool part of technology and now I'm starting to see the the negative part. And so there's a, it, it is an interesting perspective, but it's the same way with like watching these movies. And I'm wondering, honestly, I'm, I'm wondering if you, you hit it where these movie makers are saying, how do we keep these people engaged? And maybe that's, and so we got to push out things so fast or else they're going to forget about us. And yeah. we got to flash things at them, you know, so it's, I mean, honestly, you know, watching Black Panther, there was a lot of action. And I thought, well, no, I, let me take that back. Black Panther had less action, I think, than most of the Marvel movies now that I yeah, think about I it. And, and I found myself yawning, interestingly. And I didn't know if that's because I wasn't engaged in the story or if that's because, oh, crap, I'm one of those, <laughs> you know, that's falling prey to the I need more action kind of thing. Um, it, so it wasn't that it was another movie that I watched. Maybe it was a justice league or something, but it was one of those ones where I felt like there was just constant stuff being like, you know, sent into our brains. And I thought this is crazy. Like, but you've got to keep people engaged. So maybe that's part of the problem they're having with modern day stuff. Maybe that's, but you know what? Okay. So going back to modern day animation, Disney animation, I love star Wars rebels. Love it. It's star I'm still Wars working my way through like season three. So, but I love it. I haven't even gotten that far yet actually, but um, I just, I, I do now granted, I, I knew, um, you know, one of the producers and, uh, for season one, anyway, I don't think he made it past season one or yeah, I think he moved on to some other stuff at that point, but 
you know, I just really love what they've done. I think they've told story well. I don't think they've over-exaggerated, you know, the voice acting all that much. And and I think they've done a really good job of making believable characters. Um, and that's Disney. So they're, again, Lucasfilm, but it's it's still Disney. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, actually, it's funny. The first season felt very kidsy. Like it was yeah, made for kids, overacting, all of that. I pushed through it because yeah. it's Star Wars. I'm going to get through this. But you're right. Second season, you're like, oh, my gosh. Now I'm starting to see some incredible story. I'm seeing character development. You know, there's so much more. There's meaning behind it, and they're not having to, like, cram it down your throat. It's the, like you said, the subtle text and all that. I mean, so many cool things. Yeah. I love that. And it's, I still think they need to get Gennady Tartakovsky to get to, give him a chance to make another series, and this time make it canon. Because even his... Short subjects, uh, Clone Wars, things that he did that is not, unfortunately not canon. I thought at Rebels all. was Rebels. Yes, okay. it's, that's canon. I'm talking the the Gendy Tartakovsky that that he did a Clone Wars series. They were all like uh, little two three minute little episodes. Oh, you mean the Cartoon Network? The true. Oh, those were phenomenal. Those were great. Yes, but those are not considered canon. I'd oh. like to see Gendy Tartakovsky get another opportunity to make a Star Wars series and then allow it to be canon. Yeah, yeah. There was a scene in there with Mace Windu utilizing the Force in a way that I thought, "Wow!" And yeah, that makes perfect sense, and it should be that way. Or like now, I did see this in the Clone Wars, the the new Clone Wars, where they would jump from a very long height. And they would use the force to basically slow them down and prevent them from splatting. Uh, duh. Yeah. Hello. Duh. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah. So it, it's been interesting, actually, how they've used animated to allow, because, I mean, that would be very expensive from a live action standpoint, from a, you know, making <laughs> With the animation. A, hey, we can do that. Exactly. And so I, I, I will say that there's been one huge factor to, you know, modern animation has allowed them to do what, hey, this is what it should be. And we can do that with animation. Well, heck, we could have done it even hand-drawn, too. True. See? <laughs> oh, my gosh. I know, I know. So, yeah. they're not doing anything necessarily that couldn't be done before other than the look on the more three-dimensional. But there are some brilliant hand-drawn stuff that brought you into a 3D area, like the, uh, not rotoscoping, but um, the multiplane camera. Mm. Going back to Bambi, but the opening, you're just moving through the forest and there's so many different layers of stuff. You forget you're looking at different layers of drawings and and oil paintings. It's just moving through, and it seems fully dimensional, and it mm. just seems real, nice. even though they're completely 2D. Say even Beauty and the Beast, that opening shot, it's 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 very 2D, but it moves in kind of in a 3D sense. And even Pinocchio, when you start a shot. And it moves down and into the streets and everything's moving very realistically. And you it gives that everything a sense of space. Mm. And even with 2Ds. And I don't see that with these 3D films, a, a sense of space. It's, it's like they, they want to make backgrounds all like inside out. The backgrounds look beautiful and amazing. Wreck-It Ralph, the backgrounds look beautiful and amazing. Yeah. Yeah. But they don't move in that sense of fantastic space. Yeah, that's a really good point. I would have never thought of it mm-hmm. like that. See, but they've done this in video games too, and and I have more experience yeah. with that. But I mean, and you haven't had a chance to play this, but the art direction in Guild Wars Two, for example, is still to this day. I mean, this game is—I don't even know how many years old now. Um, Pretty old. <laughs> it's phenomenal. I mean, I still have yet to see modern games 
do what Guild Wars 2 has done. I mean, there are some, but not that many. And this, I mean, it's phenomenal. Phenomenal. You These need people to play The Witcher 3. <laughs> but I mean, it's <laughs> cool I gotta when, say. when people put that in there. And, you know, I don't understand like all the technical terms you're talking about with the spacing and that kind of thing. But I, I think I understand like how, what it feels like and what it, you know, what the experience is. Um, mm-hmm. And you're right about that. There's definitely something, I guess, less real to, you know, put it plainly, <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, about some of the modern stuff that just isn't there anymore. And, and again, because I know, you know, if you, if you read a little bit about like with Guild Wars 2, for example, the time that went into it and the people they had to pay to put in artwork and that kind of thing. Oh, and not to mention, you know, the voice actors and stuff who were fantastically talented. It's money, it's time, etc. If you've got to push something out fast, you don't have that. So you, yeah. you, you know, you, you do what, you do what's what, what I talk with coffee. Um, it's good enough. <laughs> it, it's good enough to get people to come back, but it's not fantastic. <laughs> well, to take it right back, like a Disney film should have that nice handcrafted and not that factory Dunkin' Donuts, Starbucks generic. This boom. Hey, we got to put it out there, but have that handcrafted feel yes. where it just you can you can see the hands of the artist. That's what we want. We, we, I wouldn't mind if there's fingerprints on it. That's one of the things that's fun about claymation is seeing the fingerprints of the people who are working the figures. That's neat. I want to see the fingerprints of the artist on these Disney films. You know, and I like this too, because I understand that from a business standpoint, it needs to be sustainable. There needs to be, you know, enough profit that it makes sense. And sometimes you have to, you know, streamline processes and all that stuff. I understand that, but you are right that there is, there's a call, I think now, for, I think people just want to see more of that handcrafted stuff again. I think we've we've been genericized. I like to make words up so much, and you know we're we're eating government cheese now instead of a finely aged cheddar with espresso rubbed into the rind. You know what I mean? Yeah, <sighs> yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, but we really got to wrap this up. Sounds good. <laughs> it's been a good long conversation. Well, thanks for uh, thanks for having me. Allowing me to, See, to chat with you on and this. And you didn't think you would be able to contribute to this. <laughs> I didn't, honestly. I was thinking, like, I don't know what I'm going to talk about. <laughs> I'm glad this worked. Yeah. See, I knew. See, it's it's movies, and you love <laughs> movies, and you can still get in on this. So, all righty. But we'll just wrap this on up. Well, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. This was a lot of fun. Thank you for listening to the Neverland Podcast. We invite you back next week for more fun and adventure. Until then, remember to keep a pixie in your pocket. It's that young at heart, positive attitude that you can share with others. And remember to visit our website at NeverlandPodcast.com. There you can find links to our news page, our shop, our contact page, where you can easily send an email to podcast at NeverlandPodcast.com. You can also find our Neverlanders page, where you can find out how to become an official lost boy or pixie, because girls are too clever to get lost. Become a real Neverlander. Please feel free to leave us a voicemail at 816-226-6492. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at NeverlandPCast. And like our Neverland Podcast fan page on Facebook. We also have a group on Facebook for you to join. We also appreciate your support to keep the Neverland Podcast up and running. Visit Patreon.com slash NeverlandPodcast to donate to Keeping the Pixie Dust Alive. Copyright content featured on the Neverland podcast is copyright of their respective creators and used under fair use license. 
All original content is copyright of Blue Band Productions, and a very special thanks to Yeehaw Bob Jackson at yeehawbob.com for our new ending music. God bless! Yeah! Hello, everybody, this is Yeehaw Bob Jackson. Neverland Podcast, we love you. Neverland Podcast, we love you. Neverland Podcast, it's true. Neverland Podcast, we 